Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. And if you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have with me my guests, co-host and media consultant of the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. And we also have our circulation director of the Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? How you doing, John? It's good to be here. Good to have you. And our special guest for today, we have producer and multimedia specialist and owner of I Told You So Productions, Cliff Fennell. How you doing today, Cliff? I'm doing great. Thank you. No problem. Now, before we head into our main topic of the week, let's head into some of the top news topics of the week. Beginning Monday, October 4th, Ohioans 12 to 25 years of age who have received at least their first dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine or one dose if receiving the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, have a chance to register for Ohio Vax to School. Ohio Vax to School will award 150 scholarships worth $10,000 each and five $100,000 scholarships to an Ohio college or university for career or technical education. The drawing dates will be conducted on a future date as determined by the Ohio Department of Health, announced one week prior to the date. Drawing dates will be announced on Twitter, Instagram, and on OhioBacksToSchool.com. Andrea, your thoughts on this news topic? I think it's um, it's a good idea to encourage young people, one, to compete for a scholarship. I wish I was young enough that I could compete for it, you know, um, to continue my education. But two, a lot of the, co- the cases that are happening right now are our young people. So this is encouraging um, it's a nice incentive for not just the young people getting vaccinated, but encouraging their parents to allow them to get vaccinated for this opportunity to possibly get a scholarship to pay for college and or a tech school if they, where they want to learn a craft. I think it's uh, very important that everyone continues their education and find creative ways to do it. And this is one great way to do it, plus helping to serve the public health. Wade, do you have any thoughts on this new story? It'll probably be a successful uh, event uh, in terms of uh, getting a lot of people to sign up. I think a, a lot of parents want their their kids to be vaccinated. Moving on to our next story. Police killings in the United States have been massively undercounted. According to a study by the University of Washington, researchers compared data from the National Vital Statistics System, or NVSS, federal database alongside data from three groups tracking deaths in police custody and news reports. The study demonstrated the disproportionate impact of police killings on Black people in America. The study in part read that across all races and states in the USA, we estimate 30,800 deaths from police violence between 1980 and 2018. This represents 17,100 more deaths than reported by the NVSS. Over this time period, the age standardized mortality rate due to police violence was highest in non-Hispanic Black people, followed by Hispanic people of any race. This variation is further affected by the decedent's sex and shows large discrepancies between states. Andrea, your thoughts on this news story? It's been a very interesting reaction to the Lancet story that published this, um, this study. Um, The Lancet, if many aren't familiar with it, is a peer-reviewed medical journal that takes an in-depth look at different issues and present present the cases. And this uh, story came out last week 
when they released the study. And it has been um, received all over the world. A lot of a lot of cases, a lot of news media has picked up on it. And it, it takes a look at the actions of the police department. Now, I'm not one to knock the police department. I am a fan of, of the police. I believe they do a very important job. But this is about curbing behavior, curbing actions taken while on the job. And they have a tough job, but at the same time, they can't keep doing what they've been doing. Whether it's Cincinnati, we're lucky because we took action with a collaborative agreement to curb some of the tendencies that we see in other police departments around the country. I still believe it's an honor to serve as a police officer and as a fireman, but you have to evolve and grow and temper your behavior with the group of people that you are guarding and protecting. And unfortunately, that theory or that philosophy has not gotten through yet. So we're seeing the ramifications of that. And this story is just another case of showing that the police are needed, but their thought process and actions need to be tempered and changed. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Well, it's not like we're surprised. Uh, we know that this has been an issue for, for forever. Just said for a long, long time, but forever. Uh, uh, we know that this has been a problem. It, it will always continue to be a problem because politically, it's, it's bad news for anyone to against the police department as a whole. They are very strong uh, politically, sometimes uh, really influence who, who gets elected in different parties and, and things. Uh, whether it's local or statewide or, or nationally. So uh, people kind of walk a tight rope when it comes to criticizing the police. And uh, again, I, I've, I've got three brothers that have been in law enforcement and not about liking or disliking the police. It's uh, about whether they're doing what they're supposed to do or, or they're not. So uh, if they're doing some, something illegally, having criminal activities and, and, and criminal activity is, is beating up or shooting uh, unarmed people and things like that. Um, and a lot of times it goes even farther than that with some of the corruption in the police departments. So um, not surprised. I would be surprised if, if anybody took it seriously and really tried to uh, have a serious, serious reaction to how policing is supposed to be done. And uh, when there's some type of uh, illegal activity happening that they actually step in and make sure that, that it's, it's, uh, it's stopped and uh, the people that are responsible for this are held accountable. And now moving on to our next topic, frequent gunfire is pulling extra police patrols to the West End, where it has the second most shootings among Cincinnati neighborhoods. On Monday night, someone shot two teenagers, the 28th and the 29th victims in the West End this year. The West End's 26th shooting this year wounded a 13-year-old and an 18-year-old on Liberty Street near the Stanley Road community. On Monday, a 17-year-old student was shot near Woodward Career Technical High School, according to the Cincinnati Police. That shooting happened after 4.30 p.m. in the vicinity of the Bond Hill High School at the corner of Seymour Avenue and Reading Road. Cincinnati Police Sergeant uh, Kelvin Lynn said the victim was shot in the arm off of school grounds and walked into the school office for help. Police say he is a student at Woodward. 
And we also have some breaking news. At the time of this recording, the suspect in a shooting at a Texas high school is in custody. According to CNN, detectives have started interviewing 18-year-old Timothy George Simpkins, who will be charged with three counts of aggregate assault with a deadly weapon. The shooting of Timberview High School left four people injured. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? It, 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 it's kind of sad that um, we have to take a look at the violence interruption work that's going on in the city. I know the Community Police Partnering Center and um, the Phoenix Project, and I want to know Cincinnati Works with their Phoenix Project and others are trying their best to um, speak with the young people who are committing these acts of violence, um, trying to mentor them, trying to say, you know, to help them find different ways of resolving their issues and helping them to teach them to think about instead of the, it's easy to pick up a gun to resolve an issue instead of stopping to think about it and talking about it or walking away. And I think it goes back to a broader, it goes to a broader issue of we are not teaching our young people conflict resolution. Um, something has gotten lost in um, our parenting skills to our young people, helping them to resolve an issue when they are confronted. Um, you know, we deal with bullying, we deal with peers, you know, ridiculing things that we do or, you know, ridiculing bullying people who don't look like them or maybe are too short or too big or wear glasses. I've gone through it, everyone's gone through some sort of it, but we were taught how to resolve conflict. Unfortunately, we have a generation that is missing a piece of the pie. And I don't know what that, if we're looking at a recipe, I don't know what's missing from the recipe to make them, to help them resolve things differently than picking up a gun. Our society is very convenient sake on demand. Unfortunately, you cannot resolve an issue where you're arguing on demand. I don't know what the resolution is, but we need to do more for our young people and um, teaching them a better way of thinking and resolving issues. Wade, your thoughts on this story? It's, it's, it's a difficult situation. When you talk about the West End, the shootings down there and things like that, uh, you, you're mostly talking about drugs and robbery that occurs down those areas. Uh, so that's a different issue from what we see at Woodward this, this week and what happened in Texas uh, earlier today. Those situations you're talking about bullying, right? From what I read uh, with the Woodward in incidents, uh, there was kids that it came from Woodward High School and they were across the street uh, over by the Walgreens. And uh, they were fussing and turning through a fight and it was more than one kid, three or four, maybe even five kids bullying another child. And uh, he ran and one of the kids had a gun in their waist and pulled out and started shooting. And I'm not sure, he, I don't think he's the one that got shot, but it was another kid that ended up getting shot. Incident in uh, down in Texas, from what I've seen so far, it's another incident of a kid being bullied and he pulled out a gun, started shooting. Uh, so you talking about, uh, different situations there and how they handle those situations I think it's going to be interesting uh, because you're always going to have bullying. I know myself, I'm a little older than you guys, but uh, I'm, a, I'm lucky to be, be alive myself in high school. Uh, I had a similar issue with similar situation where school had just ended and I don't know if I was which team I was on back then, was it the wrestling, the track team or whatever, but I was leaving out and 
as I went to the entrance or the, the exit, uh, there was a bunch of students there and they looked like they were fighting. And sure enough, as I walked closer to them, maybe seven students bullying another student. And actually he had, and he had pulled his gun out and they had rushed him and they was taking his gun away from him. And so his arm, as you can picture it, his arm is stretched out and they're taking his gun away from him. And as I'm walking in that direction, not knowing what's going on initially. So I easily could have caught a bullet at that instance. And this was 1973, I believe, 74. Okay, so it's not so much the young kids now are doing things differently. It's, it's something that's, that's been going on for a long time, depending on the, the school situation we, you've been involved with. And uh, I really don't know what they're going to do without more uh, staff to, to be around, be available, so that when things start to escalate, that they're able to stop it right, right then before it becomes a big issue. Now moving on to our next topic. Facebook apologized for an hours long outage Monday. Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were essentially inoperable Monday afternoon. Facebook's VP of infrastructure stated that the outage was caused by a faulty configuration change, and there is no evidence that data was compromised. This outage comes after whistleblower, former Facebook product manager, Francis Hagen, claims that Facebook prematurely turned off safeguards designed to thwart misinformation and ramble rousing after Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump in last year's elections in a money-making move. Hagen alleges that this move contributed to the deadly January 6th invasion of the US Capitol. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I remember um, trying to get on Facebook during the outage and everything that um, that I saw prior to the beginning of the outage was there. And then watching it try to update when you clicked on something and it just kept going, you know, you know how it blinks when it's pending, 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 pending. And I just think of how many people now, how many businesses now depend upon Facebook as part of their daily success, as part of getting information out. And the fact that Facebook has connected Instagram and WhatsApp all together. You can link them all together for updating, for um, calling out and things like that. I mean, it goes to show how well connected our social media is, but also you just don't know how the software, you know, who's controlling the software that gives you the information that you need. And I think it was interesting how long the outage occurred to normal outages. I know it's rare, but it does happen at least once a year we have an outage of a website someplace. But for a six hour worldwide outage like that, I think a lot of people are gonna start rethinking their social media platform and have backups um, and or diversify their media social media platform so that they're not dependent as much on Facebook anymore because you can't afford that because you lose money. Wade, your thoughts? Yeah, this is way above my pay grade. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, with that situation with that, you, you never know if they're telling you the truth about what they're doing and what they're not doing and what caused this or what caused that. Uh, but uh, like Ms. Carter said, it, it, it brings to light the, the degree of uh, 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 how dependent we are on Facebook and other sites like that, especially when places like Facebook can buy up some competitors and then 
be uh, entangled in them also. So if one go down, they all go down or it affects everybody. So uh, like Ms. Carter said, people are going to have to figure out a way that they have a backup uh, and not be so dependent in their businesses and, and their livelihoods all dependent on Facebook or, or it's, it's uh, Instagram and WhatsApp and all of these when they're connected like that together. Otherwise, uh, they can uh, very easily, very easily uh, destroy businesses, destroy families and life. So uh, some type of backup plan, uh, uh, different backup plans, matter of fact, is necessary. And I think this is an eye-opener for everybody, much the same way as the pandemic kid and, and people found out what the essentials were, uh, what it knew that food was going to be essential, but they uh, didn't know that uh, toilet paper and Lysol and things like that. The same here, people have to take another look at what they're doing uh, with their businesses uh, when it comes to social media and how it affects them if they get in a situation where they can't, people can't get online and, and, and reach them uh, and support them or do whatever business they do online. So uh, it's an eye-opener and uh, it's be interesting in the next uh, six months what uh, things are put in place to, to uh, hopefully be able to get people through if it, if it happens again. Definitely. And I also want to add that it seems like Facebook, I know it's not truly a monopoly, but it almost feels like it because like Andrew, like you said, you know, you couldn't get on Facebook. It was at least like six hours. So like I couldn't post anything on Facebook. I couldn't post anything on Instagram. And as far as like WhatsApp goes, you know, a lot of international people use WhatsApp to communicate. So for that to be down was like kind of scary. And just like, it just makes you realize like, wow, Facebook owns like so much because I know Facebook bought Instagram for like a billion dollars. And then I know that they bought WhatsApp for like $16 billion. And it just makes me wonder like what new thing is going to come around and like, is Facebook going to buy that? So I just thought you know, that was interesting. It's, um, it's very interesting, but you know, like WhatsApp is my backup. If anything ever happens to my cell phone, mm -hmm. I can't call out or text. Right. I have WhatsApp, but also I have duo, you know, I, 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 I have two or three backups to make sure that I'm able to communicate and call people when I can. Right. Um, even Facebook is it considered a bake backup through messenger, but you know what? I might have to find another backup because forewarned is forearmed. Okay. So those were the top news stories of the week. And now I want to go to the main topic of the show. And I want to reintroduce producer and multimedia specialist, Clint Fennell. And he's also the owner of I Told You So Productions. So how are you doing today, Cliff? Hey, I am very good. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. The first thing I want to ask you is um, why did you decide to start I Told You So Productions and when did you start it? Well, the funny thing is uh, I started to really work with some of the community and start this thing unofficially back in like 20, 2006, unofficially. And I started off honestly just trying to get a lot of local talent together and people who were inspiring to be um, different things, whether it was you know, music artists or fashion models, um, just you know, people who wanted to meet other dance groups and, and just get into different events and competitions. So it kind of started off 
by just listening to what the neighborhoods really wanted to do. And I really just wanted to provide some type of platform for people to come together and uh, just kind of showcase their talents. So I started off just really uh, getting a lot of the people who didn't have the opportunity together and started creating events from that point. And uh, it actually just kind of turned into that, into bigger events, uh, so started to do things behind the scenes, started to get into like videography and photography and officially had my LLC in 2010. That's where I kind of like really started getting down to business and understanding what I had to do to kind of expand uh, what I had, uh, you know, expand my company and to kind of make it official. And so 2010 was that official uh, year uh, for the LLC and just been going, you know, going forward ever since. And I also wanted to ask you, so you guys, you just had the uh, Buckeye Awards. I believe it's your, you just finished the second annual Buckeye Awards. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, that is correct. So what are the Buckeye Awards all about? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So the Buckeye Awards, uh, we call it Buckeye Awards because of course, Ohio. It's Ohio focused, but it's a platform. We actually started off focusing on uh, beauty and fashion. So um, as a videographer, a lot of times I may be at other fashion events or uh, fashion weeks or whatnot. And uh, you hear a lot of chatter behind scenes about what people want. And uh, you'd be surprised how, how many talents behind scenes just do not get the recognition at all. People will leave an event and won't know who actually help create this beautiful person walking down a runway, for instance. So uh, just getting a lot of feedback from people. Uh, people wanted to be recognized for their work. Uh, a lot of people have put a lot of years in school and a lot of work just out uh, with, you know, working with other industries and uh, companies. And so I decided, you know, after hearing all this, we need to come up with some type of award recognition annually to recognize those people that are in the beauty and fashion industry. And the funny thing is, uh, the first time we did it, it was a hit. And we got a lot of uh, feedback from people who were uh, in the talent field, like, hey, I know you're doing you know, hair, fashion, beauty, but how about us? So we actually added on the talent awards to this year's show. And it was just amazing because we focused not only on music talents, but uh, performing talent. So now the Buckeye Awards is now a platform for those professionals that are in an industry of beauty, fashion, and now talent. So it's just building um, every year and we're just hoping to continue to build it so that we can continue to recognize a lot of the, the Ohioans that have these uh, best kept secrets. We don't want them best kept secrets anymore. We want them to be recognized. And this is the platform that we decided to do to be able to uh, display that talent. Are you going to add even more categories for like next year Buckeye Awards or anything? So that's a good question. What we do is at the end of every event, we'll send out a survey to kind of give feedback. So I know a lot of times people may have a vision and they kind of just stick with it. But with me, I do have a vision, but I also like to see uh, and get feedback from what I um, may not know. So from an audience point of view, so we'll get feedback. And a lot of the feedback, um, there were certain people that said, hey, 
I would love to have this category in next time. So we may consider it just um, depending on how many people want to be recognized in that category. So there are a few new categories that we that we did um, get through the survey and we may consider it. So it could be it could be a yes. So what are some other projects that you were working on for your production company? Anything you can share with us? Uh, sure. Um, so I got a lot of good feedback from the Buckeye Awards and a lot of content and people that were just, you know, really uh, enjoying the event. And it kind of made me realize that I want to help other event promoters and producers to better their events. And so one of the projects is that we want to help be event coordinators for other people who are having upcoming events to cut the stress and also those who it may be their first time doing an event. I'm actually working with a few people it's their first time and being able to almost uh, give them business advice on how to run that event, um, be behind the scenes, um, help with um, social media solutions, things like that, so that they can have a successful first show. Because I'll be honest, my first show back when, it was not the best show. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have anyone to help me. And so I want to make sure that people can be successful with their first show to encourage them to continue um, to, to do the events that they lo uh, love and like. And um, if we're all doing good at the same time, all we can do, uh, all we can do is grow. And so that's my goal. I want to grow. I want to help other people, and I want our community and our city to uh, to expand. So that's uh, one of the biggest projects. And uh, we do have some concepts, some uh, concept video portraits coming out where we're going to actually shoot more like cinematic uh, video portraits. We've got a lot of people that are interested in that, and um, we're I'm hoping like by winter of next year or maybe the beginning of the year after to uh, do our uh, our first short film so i'm kind of excited about that so there are some things that are in the making so i'm, I'm excited about those things what advice would you give for people trying to enter the uh, world of media and everything i would say it is very competitive now that uh, i was listening to you guys earlier talk about social media since social media is instant and fast, it causes for more people to have more creativity than ever. So my advice is, if you wanna get into the field, it could be photography or video, you can be a hybrid shooter and do both, but push yourself outside the box. Don't try you know, to just be simple because the world is not simple anymore. Uh, use all of your creativity, you know, um, Use what you learned from school, use what you have not learned from school and go into the field knowing that you can be you and you can be creative and there's going to be people who are going to like your style, but you have to keep going. Um, it, it can be discouraging because you got people that's going to be better than you. There's always somebody who's better than you, but it doesn't mean that you can't surpass them and that you can't better, better your best. That's how I say it. And so I would say keep pushing forward. Uh, learn as much as you can. Understand that every day it may not be a uh, it may not be like a successful day. You may have the good and bad, but keep pushing yourself forward. It's very rewarding 
um, if you really get into it, if you become consistent. Um, I would definitely say that because I've had, I've had times where I thought I was going to give up and I'm glad that I didn't. So I would just encourage all the young folks, if you want to learn um, how to get into that field, learn now, start learning now. So about time that you're 18 and you're an adult, you may already be able to get into your own business. So that's what I would say. Oh, that's good. You should moonlight as a motivational speaker, man. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. Um, Andrea, Wade, do you have any questions for Cliff or anything? Well, in, in terms of his media company, do you do anything, um, you know, like, are you doing any documentaries or anything like that? Or are you just putting on events or? Yeah, uh, good question. So, I'm actually going to try to take a little break from events because the only thing about the thing about events, it takes up your life. Like it, it swallows it whole because I'm, I'll be honest, I'm more of a perfectionist when it comes to events. I want to make sure that the people who are buying tickets are all taken care of. I want to make sure that the vendors that are there are taken care of the sponsors and everything that I know, everything is happening every five minutes. So it's really tedious, you know, for me. And especially if we're having like multiple events like we did this year, we actually had three events. We had a, a children's fashion show, then, uh, you know, the Buckeye Hair Fashion Awards, and then, of course, the Talent Awards. Um, all of this was like three different events. And so um, I'm kind of, I, I would rather help people with their event and kind of fade out on that. Um, I wouldn't mind doing a Buckeye Awards again, but at this time, I'm just kind of like, uh, I want, want to help other people with their events. And I think that would help me because I can manage that a lot better and I can still work on my, uh, you know, on my own craft. Uh, as far as documentaries go, um, I'm actually uh, coming up with some documentary concepts because I was looking to do something, you know, more local. So I can shoot those. It's just that everything that we do, especially like if it's short film, documentary style, I complete storyboards where, I know what kind of shot that I want. Um, I kind of create that that timeline. So when it's time to shoot, everything is shot um, correctly in the right way. Otherwise, you may add a couple more hours that you didn't because you're trying to figure everything out that same day. So um, definitely love uh, shooting that type of style, um, interview style, corporate style. Um, I actually watch documentaries on purpose, not only because I like them, but just to learn um with other cinematographers and learn how their their shooting styles are so um so yeah uh definitely interesting documentaries i actually shot one a long time ago i was a little bit younger and um it was basically uh, interviewing a lot of people that were in the the hair business and talking about how important um it was for people to keep up their looks kind of like well now chris well Chris Rock has did a, a movie kind of like surpassed what I did. So I wouldn't even bring mine up because he would crush my, <laughs> crush my documentary. But uh, it, it was kind of in that, in that style. But yeah, I love uh, shooting that type of um, type of style, but I'm also diverse with um, many other, uh, you know, videography genres as well. Well, I'm going to change the, the conversation just a little bit because we're in a pandemic and you are a black business. What had what did you have to go through to survive what we've been through this past year? And right. how has it affected your and how has COVID affected your business? Because you just said you put on three events. 
what did right. you have to do to survive, put on three events and keep everybody safe? Right. Very good question. I appreciate that question. Um, that right there was one of the, the scariest things that happened to me in this business because you kind of got to put all bets on the table um, if you're going to do events. So when COVID first hit, I lost money um, because I had actually invested in two wedding expos. I shoot wedding video as well. And I had leads uh, for the weddings. And then when COVID hit and said, hey, you can't have weddings, you can't, you can't have these uh, venues open. I had a lot of people that said, you know what, actually, never mind. Um, we don't know when we're going to have it. And you had to give the money back because they didn't know when they're going to have their wedding. So that hurt me a lot um, back in 2020. And I started to think like, well, wh what can I do? Because this is an eye opener. Like, this is real. This can happen again and again. So what can I do to survive? And so to answer your question about that, um, I started to learn how to live stream. Because a lot of times I've got people who are asked, hey, we can't have everybody that we want. So what can we do so that our loved ones can still watch us and we can still, um, you know, you know, obey the capacity. And so I learned how to live stream and live streaming has um, helped me because now um, people even now can watch a wedding from the comfort of their own home. They can watch it, you know, on social media because um, Facebook, Instagram allows stuff like that. And so also, it's also changed my, my idea on how to take payments. Because um, a lot of times I was traditional where you would meet with me and I would take you the cash or we could do like a credit card option. But now that the pandemic has been here, I've learned how to look at other payment options online where people don't have to meet with me. Same with even contracts, like sending contracts um, touch, touch free, where I can send you a document, you can sign it from your own cell phone or your tablet or whatever you have. And they can complete documents, payments, and everything without even having to see me. So I've learned how to adapt. And actually those things are more favorable right now too, because a lot of people just feel more comfortable doing things um, at home. I mean, think about it, how Amazon is so successful, people can shop on there without having to go to a real store. So I start realizing like, you know what, people are really uh, enjoying the online experience. And then that also uh, carried over even to my events. Um, I used to always like make tickets because I can I can do like a little, a little graphic design. I'm not like, um, you know, top 10 in the world or anything, but I can design my own tickets and things like that. But this year, I just used all online ticket selling platforms, and that worked great. I didn't have to, you know, chase people down for tickets. I didn't have to try to figure out, okay, who's got, you know, what. Plus, since it was an Ohio-based event, it, you know, with over 60 nominees, that wouldn't have really been ideal for me to go to all these different cities all over Ohio to give them tickets and then meet with them, you know, again towards, uh, you know, the actual show date. So the pandemic has taught me how to, how to actually survive online and still make money without having to physically be here. And then with the events, I'll be honest with you, it was a long thought process. We had to really think, should we really do this? Um, we don't know what's gonna happen. And honestly, I just prayed about it. Um, 
I just prayed about it and I felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, we kept social distancing, um, even, even behind the scenes, you know, we invited people to wear a mask and, um, and we, and I even cut my seating in half. So instead of having the full seats that we usually have, I cut it in half just so people can have room and be able to be comfortable and not have to worry about someone um, being pushed up on, you know, pushed up on them because of all the seating. I even rearranged the vendor table. So everybody was really um, glad that I did that. I even made the announcements online so people could understand what to expect. So I was, I was definitely, you know, trying to make sure that the experience was going to be a good experience and people could feel safe and comfortable and everything worked out. So thanks be to God. I just have one quick question because as a business person, you know, you, you have a certain philosophy and a certain business model. And then because of the pandemic, you had a pivot and you, you just heard you explain how you pivoted. But in terms of your thinking as a businessman, what changed for you? What was the light bulb moment that right. said, you know, instead of just, oh, I'm losing business, you know, because you're, you're in a hospitality business, you're in, right. you know, you, you, you meet people where they are. And also do that. What was the one element of that business philosophy that took you a minute to grasp before you were able to pivot and say, okay, I got to do it this way? Right. I I think the moment where I had to give all these refunds back, I realized I have to change my tradition. Because sometimes we get stuck in our ways. Like we just, hey, this is the way I do it. I'm comfortable with this. I'm not going to change it. If it worked, it worked for me all these years. But we got to understand that um, things change and we have to change with it. And if we don't, then someone else will change for you. They'll just, well, hey, if he doesn't do it, I, I'll do it. And people will react to that. And so <clears throat> like I've never get that many refunds back <laughs> in my business life or just in life in general. And that was like the light bulb for me. Like, hold on. I had to figure out a plan B during this pandemic. Something where, like, it made me think, like, okay, so what happens if we're shut down again? What are you going to do? You know, you can't do the same thing, or you'll be out of business. You know, and and there were other other vendors that I knew that actually went out of business during this pandemic because they didn't have a plan B. And I had to really think, what what can I do as a plan B that will keep me in business if this happens again? And so after the refund spree, I really had to think about a plan B and a plan C and how I can survive even when this happens again. So even now, um, everything that I do has a pandemic plan B. So if it doesn't work out because we're shut down or um, we can't go to a certain you know venue or whatever it may be, I have those plans in place. It took me a little while to kind of come up with that. Even with my events um, that I had this year, I always had like a plan B for, okay, this this doesn't work. This is what we're going to do. And so I think last year woke me up and it made me a better business person because like you were talking about meeting people, you know, uh, halfway and saying, okay, well, you know what? We can't do it this way. Let's do it this way. It sounds like you're more comfortable with this. It'll work out for everybody and we'll all be safe. So just thinking about the, just thinking about the alternate plan, um, it makes you wake up and it makes you put that in your permanent plan so that 
bad things like that doesn't happen to you again you can still survive and come up with alternate ways to still be able to make money and survive during the during the pandemic it sounds like as a businessman you were you've been stretched and right. and forced to grow but i mean for the future what do you you know as you adapt and change and deal with this pandemic as business model what also has it also made you look at other other things that you can do with your business besides just this yeah yeah absolutely absolutely it actually um i started doing some research and i'll give you an example like a good example because i'm also a certified drone pilot so i have a, a drone where i you know if i want to you know shoot it for aerial footage and um you know i'm just thinking hey you know um people you know they're hiring me to shoot you know for their houses and you know, maybe for like some uh, landscapes and things of that nature, maybe even a nice um, a video for their wedding uh, trailer, something like that. But like you said, it, I also started thinking, well, what else can I do with this? What else can I do with my video cameras? And I started to realize there's other uses for the drone, um, other ways that I can make money that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with video you know a lot of people are looking for stuff like that to be able to to see things that they can't see normally you know for an example i wasn't thinking that. i'm just thinking of the traditional stuff hey you know i use the drone just to shoot beautiful aerial footage but some people use it as a tool uh, for example and then like i mentioned before with the cameras thinking about doing live video feed I never thought about doing live video feed except for like, you know, Facebook and Instagram, but to actually have my professional camera hooked up as a live feed puts it on a whole nother level. So yeah, I was thinking about alternate things that I can do with the equipment that I have now and how I can best use it uh, outside of what I've been doing. And that's, that's definitely helped stretch me and to be able to provide even more services for people that may not even be typically my customers. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it, it's, I know there are a lot of businesses that went out of business because they weren't able to adapt per se, especially with the pandemic. But it sounds like to you, you're not only adapting, but you're finding future uses and things like that. And I really appreciate hearing your story, John. Yeah, and um, that was a very fascinating conversation. And Clef, I want to thank you for uh, coming on our show. Greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a good time. No problem. And thank you, Andrea and Wade, for contributing to uh, today's stories and hearing your commentary on them. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It was a good conversation. Thanks, John. It's always nice to be here. Yep, definitely. And make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatihero.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Vett Booksellers, and at select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Hero podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day. Mm -hmm.